Thank you for calling Double Tree Suites to Sal Williams Center. This is Marissa. How can I help you? Hi, Marissa. It's time for Mitch Unfiltered. May I have Jason D. Hamilton's suite, please? Let me see. Hello. Is this Jason D. Hamilton? Uh, it is. It is Jason D. Hamilton. Is this the Jason D. Hamilton that uh, went to Tucson really, really early, suspiciously early for a, a game on Thursday night? It's the same Jason D. Hamilton that went to Tucson early. The only person that's suspicious is Mitch Levy. No, I think the whole Pacific Northwest wants to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Why do we? Why do we need to get there? So are you you flew out on Wednesday morning for a Thursday night game. That's not like Jason D. Hamilton. Well, it's like Jason D. Hamilton when I'm going to the desert. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's not get it twisted now. Like okay. I'm trying to get to some. I'm trying to get to some warm weather, and it's not even that warm. Okay, warm weather or a certain sport. What are we talking Both. about here? Oh, it, let's get down it, to brass tacks. Yeah. Walk us through the Wednesday of Jason D. Hamilton in the desert. Okay. 7.40 a.m. Alaska flight to Tucson. That was delayed 70 minutes, which was cramping my style. And you were complaining via Twitter. I saw that. You were bitch. You're one of these bitchers and moaners on Twitter. Did you get yourself something from Alaska Airlines for tagging them and telling them, hey, get this plane going after 70 minutes? Uh- I, I didn't I didn't I didn't get anything and you know Alaska Airlines is a great supporter of the University of Washington. Yes, I'll, they are. I'll say that. Yes, they are. Uh, I I I just wanted to understand um, if you've been to the new D terminal, they put you way the hell out there. Like <laughs> you're, you're you're just in the middle of the tarmac and they bust you out there. I see. It's not even like a real deal. I see. Okay. Anyway. I had booked a tea time, Mitch Levy, uh-huh. that uh, I felt was was well within the time frame of me getting down to Tucson and out to said golf course in not only enough time, but enough time that I could actually have some lunch and then go play. Did you get to said lunch and said tea time in Tucson, in the desert? I never made the lunch because I was a 70 minutes delayed. Yeah. But uh, I, I did, I did make, uh, I did make the tea time. Ah. Which, other than just enjoying being in somewhat better weather than Seattle and playing golf for the first time in a long time, was uneventful. Did you play by yourself, or did you have a I tea did. time with somebody? I did. So nope, you, you, I played by- you traveled to Tucson, Arizona early, yeah. so that yeah. you could play a round of golf in the desert. With cacti all around and rattle yes. and rattlesnakes. Because I was late, I literally pulled up and I'm on the box. Right to the box. Right Car- to the box. Carlos Franco. Right to the box. Right, right to the box. Right to the box. Now, did you drink like Rocco Mediate drinks <laughs> during competitive rounds of golf? Did yeah, you? Well, this was not a this was not a competitive round, so no, no, no beverages were consumed. Did you throw any temper tantrums like Sergio Garcia throws in European events in bunkers and sand traps? I only was in one bunker today. The funny thing is, once I hit my bunker shot, I literally smashed the sand just to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see what it felt. There was no one out here. I just wanted to see what it felt like, so I just, I just started obliterating the sand. And how many greens did you destroy via Sergio no Garcia? 
No greens. No greens. Were you ever disqualified from play? Were you ever escorted from the golf course like Sergio Garcia? <laughs> I was not. I was fortunately I, I, I was well within the rules other than the, my bunker tantrum. How many birdies did Jason D. Hamilton make in the desert the day before the the Washington Arizona game? Two birdies. Did you do any alligator arm thumbs up like Titskala would? As you were walking no. off the green, did you give anybody a thumbs up or a wave or I a tip did, of the cap? No, I did not. I feel like these are these are these are questions that I would be telling on a, a lie detector test. You're giving me a polygraph right now. It's a yes or no. We should tell everybody that this is episode twenty-one. I hope Jason D. Hamilton knew that this was the beginning of episode number twenty-one. We've got a lot of decisions to make. We've got two great guests. Peter King is going to be our guest to kind of sum up what he saw in the Super Bowl, but more importantly in the Super Bowl, some of the other NFL news in and around the Super Bowl, like like Jason D. Hamilton, who did not make the NFL Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Uh, uh, Steve Hutchinson did not make it. Peter King's going to tell us why. He's got a definitive reason why. Also, Antonio Brown. This has, this has direct relation to the Seattle Seahawks. Antonio Brown may have been destined for the San Francisco 49ers, the NFC West, next year until this latest domestic dispute, domestic violence incident in Hollywood, Florida. And now Peter King's going to tell us in the interview that he thinks San Francisco's got to erase itself from contention, from all consideration because of all the domestic violence problems that's been in and around the San Francisco 49ers over the years. Peter King will join us. Also, do you know the name Adam Gorney? Does that mean anything to you? Uh, I do not know Adam Gorney. Adam Gorney is going to be on episode number 21. He is the national college football recruiting analyst for both Yahoo and Rivals.com. And rather than, oh, okay. you, rather than you and I try to figure out how Washington did, how the Pac-12 did, who did what on National Signing Day, who had the best days, what about our OKGs, all about those types of things. Rather than you and I just guess, I figured we would interview Adam Gorney, who knows these things. He knows every player like the back of his hand. He's going to answer all those questions for us on episode number 21. Episode 21 is brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call, managing over $2 billion and headquartered right here in Bellevue with offices in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley, the premier wealth management firm in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, inside of a week to go until Valentine's Day. Clock is ticking on you, Jason D. If you don't have a reservation for a nice dinner, don't mess this up. Leshy, South Lake Union, Bellevue, and the brand new location at the downtown Hyatt Regency on 8th and Howell. Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue, where I've leased or purchased so many vehicles, I've lost count. I love the ownership. I love the salespeople. I love the service department, which is open seven days a week for your convenience. And Zeke's Pizza, where we watch Super Bowl 53, and I'm already planning to watch the Huskies in the NCAA tournament. I'm going to make Zeke's Pizza locations my March Madness headquarters, and I hope you'll join me. It's time for episode number 21. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really 
kind of infuriates me that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode number 21, Jason D. Hamilton in Tucson, Arizona, where the University of Washington and the University of Arizona will take center stage on Thursday night. We've got some decisions to make before we get to the actual meat of the show. We've got the two interviews and everything going on, but we've got a major decision to make. I think we're going to have no problems with episodes 23 and 24 if we get there, naming them after famous athletes who wore those numbers. Don't you think 23 and 24 are going to be pretty easy? I'm certain 23 is, and 24 should be fairly easy. Well, there was a certain center fielder in Seattle that I know that I resisted Gary Payton, but I don't know that I can resist the center fielder who patrolled the kingdom. Well, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't unanimous. I know. Does he have to be unanimous so, to be? Uh, no, no, no. Be... I was going to say. I was going to say because you you be the dissenting vote. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where you were going there. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we have to make a decision on on episode number twenty one. I actually texted you the other day some of the qualified candidates that we have to choose from. All right, I'm going to throw mm-hmm. some of them at you, and you tell me who's your vote. Talk me through who we're naming episode twenty one after. Number one, this isn't in any order. This is just off the cuff. Uh, okay. Five time Pro Bowl running back, three time first team. NFL's most valuable player in 2006, 13,684 yards. LaDainian Tomlinson wore number 21. Nine-time All-Star and a human highlight reel. Wore number 21 for the Atlanta Hawks. Dominique Wilkins. That's right. An 11-time All-Star pitcher, a two-time World Series champion, a seven-time Cy Young Award winner, an AL MVP, a guy who won the pitching triple crown twice, and a guy who ended up on the Mitchell Report for steroids, war number 21. Yeah, Roger Clemens. The Rocket, Roger Clemens. A two-time Super Bowl champion, eight-time Pro Bowler, eight-time all-first team in the NFL, the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year, and oh, by the way, he played baseball too in the playoffs for the Atlanta Braves. Number 21? Primetime. Neon Deion Sanders, war number 21, to be contemplated. Five-time NBA champion, a three-time NBA Finals MVP, a two-time NBA MVP. He went to 15 All-Star games, and he was a 10-time All-NBA first-team performer. He wore number 21. That'd be Mr. Snooze Button himself. (laughs) Tim Duncan. That's right. He wore number 21. I don't have any stats on this next guy. I'll just say Kobe Stopper in Seattle. Number 21, <laughs> Reuben Patterson. Needs to be contemplated. Oh, uh, boy. And then finally, a 15-time All-Star, 12 gold gloves, exactly 3,000 hits, two rings, an MVP, a World Series MVP, a career 317 hitter who gave his life 
while he was attending to some rescue, some earthquake rescue in his home city, in his home state, in his home country. Number 21 of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Roberto Clemente. Roberto Clemente. As I see it, those are, and there's others, there's a lot of others, those are the 21s. LaDainian Tomlinson, Dominique Wilkins, Roger Clemens, Ruben Patterson, Neon Deion Sanders, Tim Duncan, and Roberto Clemente. Would you like to choose who represents episode number 21? It's your choice. Well, first of all, the fact that you're throwing Ruben Patterson into the <laughs> into the list is enough for me to hang up. Just FYI. Oh, come on. Uh, you, you didn't throw out your boy Sammy Sosa. No. Are we voting for Sammy Sosa over either Roger Clemens or, I mean, to keep it to baseball, Sammy Sosa doesn't make the baseball cut. You've got Roberto Clemente and Roger Clemens at War 21. For for me, yeah. it's it's Roberto Clemente hands down but a close second. And I know you're going you're thinking I'm going to say I'm going to say Tim Duncan cuz I'm a basketball guy, but it, to me it's it's Deion Sanders. Really? I mean, the guy that can play professional really Guy that plays professional baseball gets helicoptered from a playoff game to a play. I mean, come on, to a game to a playoff. I mean, yeah, come on. All right, explain to me how it's hands down, but a very close second. You said hands down, which implies there's nobody even close. And then you give me, oh, then you give yeah. me a very close yeah. second is Deion Sanders. Yeah. Explain that. Yeah, to me. I I misspoke in saying that the the second was a close second. Roberto Clemente number one, and then a close second for the two people of Tim Duncan and Deion Sanders to me, but I would give the, the nod to Deion Sanders in that, in that regard. That's what I'm saying. You're looking past a two-time MVP, 15-time NBA All-Star, and 10-time All-NBA First Team. You know, only five guys make the All-NBA First Team, and he did it 10 times. Your snooze Correct. guy. Are you just an anti? Maybe you're just a little bit anti Tim Duncan because of the whole Sonic Spurs thing. Is that is that in this? No, it's just it's. I I think Tim Duncan is amazing. I think I mean he is one of those guys where you watch him and fundamental his fundamentals are are incredible. I mean that's why Shaq calls him Mister Fundamental. I mean he is picturesque in that deal, but. It, he is so boring that it's hard for me to get excited about him and want to vote for him in a in a thing like this. If you were saying, is he one of the top players of NBA history? I, absolutely, I'd vote for him hands down. But to be the episode number? Yeah. No. no. Okay. Nope. No. All right. So, yeah. so your vote is for Roberto Clemente in a close call over primetime. Correct. Okay, that's what we're doing. This is episode number 21. It's officially now. It's not Barry Payton or Gary Sanders. It's uh, it's uh, Roberto Clemente. Episode Roberto Clemente. Now listen, for many years, Lindsey Schwartz of Daniels has been after me. Did you know that? He's been after me to do something, and I want to announce it right here on episode 21. Mm-hmm. He has been after me to do a fancy schmancy dinner for the faithful 39 and a half or 40 and a half from the old radio days for years and years and years. He would tell me, we like to do these dinners where people talk and personalities do speeches and shake hands. It's a nice dinner. It's a fairly expensive dinner. It's a night out. It's a special event. Brock Heward does them and Damon Heward does them and, and all these different personalities. When are you going to do 
a special event at Daniel's Broiler for your listeners. And so I have finally succumbed. You know, we did the Super Bowl thing. I got out. I I shed the image of, of being a public recluse, if you want to call me yeah. that. I now feel like I'm ready. And so we have put together something that I'm very excited about, a little bit nervous about, because it's not something that we normally do. But you're going to help me through here. A very special dinner at Daniel's Bellevue. Yes. On Tuesday, March 19th. Now, what is the significance of Tuesday, March 19th, Jason D? First day of the NCAA tournament. Yes, if you count the Dayton games, the first four games as part of the NCAA tournament, that's correct. But I more look at it as the Tuesday that we're all excited and filling out our brackets and doing research and trying to figure out how are we going to fill out our brackets, how are we going to win our office pools, getting ready, getting excited. We're going to have the dogs in there this year. I don't think there's any question about that. Hopefully, I'll have my alma mater in there, and we're going to have the best spectacle in sports always seems to be the NCAA basketball tournament. So, what I told Lindsey Schwartz is, we will do a dinner, you and I, on Tuesday night, March 19th at Daniel's Bellevue. And he has put together, Daniel's Bellevue has put together this dinner that we are taking 64. Notice the number? Mm-hmm. 64 reservations. And you've got to reserve your spot. You've got to pay and reserve your spot. You do it via the Mitch Unfiltered website, MitchUnfiltered.com. Right at the very top, you'll see something called Unfiltered March Madness. You click, and you'll find out all about the event. Let me give you some information. It will start at 6.30. Parking will be included. This is not a terribly inexpensive evening. I understand that. This is a little fancy schmancy for us. It's $100 per person plus tax and gratuity for the first 64 people that reserve their spot. We're calling it Unfiltered March Madness. We're going to serve the best meal in the Pacific Northwest, and all while doing so, you and I are going to be entertaining. We're going to be Laverne and Shirley. (laughs) We're going to be Abbott and Costello. You and I are going to entertain while everybody dines on the best meal that the Pacific Northwest has to offer. And here's what everybody gets for their $100. It includes parking. It includes beer and wine. It it includes appetizers, salads, choice of entree, Daniel's dessert sampler. You can get a prime filet mignon, a grilled salmon, a vegetarian entree. The whole thing is included under the price. And you get Mitch and Jason. And so what are we going to do on Tuesday night, March 19th, while everybody's eating? What do you think we're going to do, Jason? Well, first of all, we're going to go around and have a, a great conversation with people. Uh, <laughs> thank them for thank them for coming around. I mean, because seriously, these, these kinds of events are, are really awesome. It's, it's great of, of Daniels to support and, and for the people to come out and actually want to spend the evening with us and, and do this. But you and I are going to give them some information, some real good tidbits about – everyone in the field, about who we think are the favorites, who we think is going to advance, uh, who are the sleepers, who are the dark horses, and uh, really break down each region to, uh, to give everybody a chance to win their either their office pool or wh- whatever they're involved in, but just go out and have a fun time and, uh, and check out the brackets. Yes, that's right. You and I are going to fill out our brackets with everybody. And we'll, yeah. have, we'll have a discussion. We'll have a conversation. Maybe we'll have our own kind of Daniels 
Mitch unfiltered pool going on. Maybe I shouldn't say that too loud. Maybe we'll do our own. <laughs> we'll do our own pool. It won't be the pool of little squares, but instead it'll no. be an NCAA tournament March Madness pool. That's right. It's an all-inclusive evening that begins at 6:30 p.m. at the Bellevue location of Daniels, and for $100 plus tax and gratuity, everything comes along with it, including your beverages, your alcoholic beverages, your 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 meal and our entertainment. And and also more importantly maybe than even the filling out the bracket and going over each region and giving us and giving some tips on how to do this might be some storytelling, we'll schmooze, maybe we'll uh, we'll give a few Are you ready to give a speech? You want to give a speech on Tuesday? Oh yeah, I'm all, yeah. I'm all about that. Fireside <laughs> chat. <laughs> Uh, so hey, just yeah, just so you know, yes. because there may be a pool involved, I'm <laughs> not going to bring Jackson Hamilton. He will not be in attendance. It'll just be you and I. Yep. Daniels, Lindsey Schwartz, and the the 64 folks that uh, would love to be there and, and have a great evening. All right, this isn't for the faint of heart. I understand. Uh, I'd like everybody to consider it, and anybody who wants to be a part of this, again, it's March the 19th at 6.30 p.m. We are taking 64 reservations, and the way to reserve your spot is to go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click on the top of the page, which takes you to the order form and all the details, Unfiltered March Madness on March 19th. And again, for $100 plus tax and gratuity, you get J. Ham and I, or you get J-Ham and me, I guess I should say. You get your dinner, you get your parking, you get your beer and or wine, you get your appetizer, salads, choice of entree, Daniel's dessert. It all comes about, and it's going to be an awesome time. It's going to be a lot of fun on March 19th, but I can only accommodate 64 people. We can only accommodate 64 people. So go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click on Unfiltered March Madness at the top, and make your reservation. Got it? Got it. Okay. So I was over at Evergreen Golf Call again last Friday. There's a great energy in that office. I love having them join the unfiltered sponsorship team. Evergreen is the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, founded by David Hay three decades ago, a homegrown Bellevue firm that not only believes but participates in this community, which makes me like them even more. Manages over $2 billion with a B, dollars in assets. Important to note that Evergreen doesn't take commissions on deals and invests right alongside of their clients. Tyler Hay, named one of the 40 under 40 by the Puget Sound Business Journal, now having spread throughout the West Coast, offices in Portland and San Francisco, Napa Valley. We're talking about the fastest growing wealth manager in the Pacific Northwest. Evergreen takes particular pride at being a Northwest company with philanthropic efforts. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well, Wednesday was National Signing Day in college football. How much time should we spend on that? I know that I have an interview coming up with Adam Gorney, who is the uh, the chief uh, college football recruiting analyst for Rivals.com and Yahoo, or one of the chiefs. So I don't know that we have to spend a lot of time talking about it. What do you think about National Signing Day in football, Jason? Okay, so I have, I have two disparate opinions about National Signing Day. All right. One is I think it's it's – 
amazing for the fans to get excited about the potential of their chosen university and everything that goes about it. And it's great for the kids to finally be able to put a pen to paper. And yes, I think certain people still have to fax it in. I know that some people scan it in, but send it in and, and, and make it official. I think the hype and the hoopla around it is a bit much for me. <laughs> Do you feel like you have to take a shower after you? Uh... It, it's, it's not so much that it's just, the National Signing Day, the actual signing day, is w- way more palatable to me than the kids that create videos and do all this stuff about being committed. Why do you need to go to such extremes to just commit? Just commit. Then, National Signing Day, you put your name on the paper and you go. I, I mean, I'm a little bit old school in that way. I, I'm the guy that's yelling at clouds and telling people to get off my lawn. <laughs> but I, you know, I think it's it's awesome for the kids to finally be able to do that, and it is exciting for the fan base. Here's what I think. Here's my unfiltered opinion of National Signing Day, and what I'm interested in is when Chris Peterson inevitably gets in front of a microphone or behind a microphone and says, "I don't like the whole process of going after a kid once he verbally commits to another school." Mm-hmm. I think that that's the the seedy side of college football recruiting. I hear that all the time. And I hear that all's fair and love and war and recruiting in the Southeast, right? Georgia yeah. does it. Alabama does it. Florida does it. LSU does it. I don't know if they do it in the Big Ten and the Big 12. Uh, I don't know if Clemson does it. But I hear, I hear all, all the time, all these other schools, you know, it's ridiculous. This guy flipped today from Auburn to Georgia. This guy flipped from Miami to Alabama. It's happening all over the country except apparently at the University of Washington – and in particularly on the West Coast, that that tactic is not used very often on the West Coast. Here's my issue with that. Okay. Who's always playing for the national championship? Alabama. That's right. Who are the teams that we always are talking about come NCAA playoff, football playoff time? We're talking about all the schools. That's right. All the schools that apparently do this, that go after guys, even though they're verbally committed somewhere else. All these schools that don't have any hesitation to do that and probably are victims of that too. I, I would assume that when, when Georgia, for an example, gets a commit, a verbal commit, that, that Nick Saban's still on the phone with that kid trying to get him to come to Alabama or Auburn. You think Auburn sure. is calling Alabama commits to try to get them to decide to change their mind from Alabama to Auburn? It's funny that it's happening all over the SEC. We don't, we don't play that game out here. And oh, by the way... We don't also play for the national championship out here. Oh, by the way, we have a hard time having a good reputation and getting into the NCAA Final Four. It seems to me that you can't have it both ways. If you, I mean, yes, do Pac-12 teams get into the Final Four? Certainly they do. But it just seems to me that the center, the epicenter of the college football universe every single year is the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC, well, not as much the ACC, all these Eastern and Southeastern teams that are willing to play by a different set of rules in recruiting. So which way do you want it? Do you want the Pac-12 to be strong? Do you want the Pac-12 to have teams that are that are in contention for the NCAA Final Four? Or do you want to do recruiting the upstanding and right way and watch the SEC play for the national championship every year? I've heard people say, and we'll talk about this with our guest in episode 21, Roberto Clemente. I've heard people say 
that Alabama and Georgia and LSU and all the teams that you always hear at the top of the recruiting list, while the Pac-12 schools are at 17 and 18, Washington's at 17, USC's at 16, and so forth. I've heard people say that these Southeastern schools, they recruit their kids harder after they verbally commit than they actually recruit them before they verbally commit, knowing that there's some poaching going on. And I don't know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like the guy who says, you know, go for it. But I, I guess I'm saying go for it. I'm just saying, hey, may, maybe Chris Peterson, maybe the USC head coach, maybe I know Oregon had a great recruiting class. Maybe Pac, maybe West Coast schools have to say, hey, we're going to get in the mud with these guys a little bit. We're going to call. We're going to call Texas commits. We're going to call Auburn commits. We're going to try to make guys change their mind if that's going to happen to our guys that are verbally committing to our schools then why shouldn't we play the same game we'll get that we'll get down and dirty with with these schools yeah I, I think too though going back to maybe Chris Peterson's philosophy and Washington's philosophy is you you certainly want a guy who you've been on for a long time and who you've had built a relationship with and who you've been committed to and you're not you're not throwing you know 250 offers out there for 60 spots or for 30 spots or for 22 spots you know whatever the number is that you that you have available which is you know more in the 15 to let's call it 25 you're not throwing a huge number of offers out there you're saying i am committed to you and this is that this is it. This is you and I, and we're going to have this relationship, and you're going to come here for four or five years and hopefully become a professional, maybe in football or in in some other part of uh, the professional world. But if you do that, you have to realize that that's not the game that everybody else is playing. So it, it just, you know, you might not be getting down and dirty like you talked about, Mitch, because those other guys – they're getting that from eight or ten schools, whereas Washington's going after one guy and staying on him hard. It doesn't mean that they can't do it. It just means it's it's more difficult to flip a guy, I think, late, unless you're one of those people that says, you know, we got a national championship here to win. And how's it working, Jay Ham? How's it working for the Pac-12 when they play all these out-of-conference games before conference play starts? How's the reputation of the conference once they start Pac-12 play? Yeah, it's not good. It's not. I mean, okay. you're right. I mean, and then we could, and then to... we sit around on podcasts and we cry and whine. I'm sure they're doing it on radio stations too. Why is the Pac-12 so down? Why are they in a bad spot? Why don't we? Why? Why aren't the Pac-12 schools being, you know, getting spots into the NCAA Final Four? I think we're. I think maybe we have to go down to the grassroots and find out that this is the reason. The reason is recruiting. The reason is that the great the great players for the most part are not coming to the Pac-12. And, yeah, and, 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 and the SEC teams are vicious in their recruiting, and they're not going to let a verbal commitment from a guy to, let's say, USC. Alabama, Nick Saban is not going to let word that a kid verbally committed to USC deter him from going after that kid and still going after that kid and trying to make him change his mind until he signs on the dotted line. It just seems like that's that's the way of the world right now, and if the Pac-12 doesn't want the bus to go by, then they better start playing by the same rules. That's what it seems like to me. When we get together for episode number 22, what will be the Washington Huskies conference basketball record, Jason? I think it will be 11-0. Really? I think so. Oh, <laughs> 
I do. Oh. I yeah, I I really do. I, I you know, it's weird. I have not felt I I was really nervous about the USC UCLA games and not because I thought that they were better teams, but I thought that after the the great road trip in Oregon and coming back home and playing against, you know, two very, very talented teams, but teams you had no idea who they were going to be. I thought maybe we could see a lull in Washington's play and and potentially get nicked on one of those games. After watching them for those two games against USC and UCLA, I am now of the belief that the defense is real, and I've known that. But I think the offense is good enough to win games and win games like this in Arizona and win games like this at Arizona State. Now, the caveat, Mitch, and you know this, is whether or not Noah Dickerson is at 75% or at 90%. What if I told you he's at 75%? If he's at 75%, I'm more likely to go 10-1. and one. Which loss? Tempe? Yes. 90% 2-0? Yes. If they go 2-0, can we start talking 18-0 on episode number 22? If they win both of these games, it's going to be hard not to. Look at the remaining schedule. I don't want you to do so now, but I'm, I'm saying at some point, look at the remaining. If they get through these two and come back 11-0, look at the remaining schedule, would you please? I'm going to read to you something that should excite you as it pertains to the University of Washington. I'm going to read to you Bracketmatrix.com takes all of the bracketologists, including our guy, Bracket Guy Dave, in Bracketville. He's number one. But they mm-hmm. take all of them and they put a big chart together. I'm going to read to you the seeds as of the moment of the University of Washington. You ready? Yeah. I'm just yep. going to read seed after seed after seed. These are who all the bracketologists think what they think Washington's seed is in the NCAA tournament as of today. And by the way, you don't need me to tell you, they all have them in as of today. Okay? Yep. 877. This is not a phone number. 877 688-877-888-778-789-778-787-987-878-6797. 7, I'm not finished. 798-785-7798-785-7798. Nine seven seven eight five nine eight six eight seven seven eight ten eight eight ten nine seven six six ten eight eight six nine six. That's every single bracketologist out there in the seed that they have next to the Washington Huskies going into mm. the Arizona games. There was very few tens. Very few tens. There were more fives, I believe, than tens, which is amazing to think. Think about what those fives will be if they're 11-0 and coming home. Now, remember, we've been talking about for it seems like weeks and weeks and weeks that Washington can't – they haven't won a game that's a quality win yet. They keep winning all these games, but they're not really quality wins. Yeah, they're impressive because they've gotten a 9-0 in the conference, but there's no such thing as a quality win. They've got to go to the Arizona schools, and in particular Tempe, and win on the road. Now there's a quality win. So guess what? If they go 2-0 and in front of your very eyes in the desert in between all your golf games, then <laughs> think about what bracketologists will be saying after they've beaten Arizona State on the road to add a quality win, a quadrant one win 
to an 11 and 0 record. Yeah, I mean the narrative is going to change very quickly for Washington if if in fact they're able to do that. Uh you know, unfortunately UCLA's loss to to Colorado um is probably going to change the quad win there for for UCLA and and move that down and you know, everything is fluid. But if they're able to get two wins in the desert on the road and be 6 and 0 oh, Mitch 6 and 0 oh, on the road with the following week at Pullman you could potentially potentially go 9 and 0 oh on the road with the bay area following Pullman amazing amazing stuff promise me that if we get a good game in Tucson if we get a really good game in Tucson, before you go to sleep, we'll do a little bonus one for the patrons. No doubt. Let's do it. Beautiful. A patrons-only episode right after Washington hopefully beats Arizona. It's been a couple of years since Land Rover produced the Defender, but it's coming back, and it's really spectacular. The order list is already filling up at Jag Land Rover of Bellevue. Al and Dimitri have both promised me that listeners of Mitch Unfiltered go right to the front of the line on the list, on the order list. Road and Track did a piece on their most highly anticipated 2019 vehicles, and there it was, the Land Rover Defender. It will still be an aluminum-bodied truck with off-road chops, but this time it'll ride on the same unibody platform as a Range Rover, says Road and Track magazine. Can't beat Land Rover of Bellevue, all I've driven the past 12 years, vehicles I've either leased or owned from this great dealership. The sales squad is incredible without the stress. A service department, which is open seven days a week for your convenience, and a pre-owned selection, by the way, which isn't too shabby. Just off of 520 on Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. Football morning in America. Let's wrap up the Super Bowl and the season with Peter King. A lot of people, at least out here, had trouble watching that Super Bowl, Peter. Um, what do you think happened? What, we all expected a high-scoring, very interesting game, and we got the opposite, at least for the first three and a half quarters. Well, I think the surprising thing that happened that people didn't really expect is that, you know, I think the Rams – sort of morphed into surprisingly a conservative team and Jared Goff just did not play well. He didn't take advantage of a couple of the opportunities he had and should have made, throws he should have made, that would have made the game altogether different. I think a lot of times these games take on identifications that depend on, you know, the Patriots never score early in big games. They always... I mean, nine Super Bowls they've been in, they've scored a total of three points in the first quarter. One of the reasons is that Belichick and Josh McDaniels, and in this case Brian Flores, the former defensive coordinator, the thing that they want to do is they want to see, okay, let's see how these individual matchups are going, let's see what's going on. And then they start to kind of parry and... You know, and see what things that they've planned that they're going to be able to take out of their sort of play calling bag, which things they think are going to work. And uh, until the fourth quarter, they never really found very much after Josh McDaniels uh, basically changed a lot of what they were going to do. And I uh, wrote about that on Monday in my column. 
I, I think it's a combination of that and just the fact that, you know, the Patriots really did have a tough time with, uh, you know, the sub defenses. And I know that that's probably getting a little too into the weeds, but the Patriots couldn't make things happen against their three defensive back uh, lineups because Nikhil Roby Coleman played so well. Uh, and they've got two very good cornerbacks in Aqib Tlaib and, and Marcus Peters. So all that combined to, to basically make this a snooze fest uh, in the biggest game of the year. Yeah. McVay took all the blame at the end. Is he just stepping up and doing what a coach should do, even in his young age? or? Yeah. He or, always does that. Okay, so so uh, yeah. you know, very little girly again. Uh, you say Goff didn't play well. Uh, is there a lot more blame to go around than just on the head coach? Here's what I think about Todd Gurley. One of the shows I was listening to these complaints about Todd Gurley, and how, and you know the fact he hadn't carried the ball enough and and all that stuff. And I just sort of make this point. When is the last time? I mean, okay, so Todd Gurley was good to very good against the Dallas Cowboys, as was C.J. Anderson, okay? But really, I mean, you go back, say, to Thanksgiving, um, you know, where he just started, I think he had two games in the last ten games that they played this year, something like that where he touched the ball more than 20 times in the game. And so either we're going to find out that he, that he had something wrong with him uh, that we don't know right now, or uh, the coach basically said, I like what C.J. Anderson gives us. Now, C.J. Anderson had three Boffo games in a row, and then the New Orleans game and the championship game in New England, he didn't do anything. But neither did Gurley. I mean, so I, I just I think that they went away from Gurley. I think he is really ticked off about it, uh, and I think that's probably a relationship that is going to have to be mended in this off season between McVeigh and yeah. Gurley. And that's what fantasy footballers are going to ask all off season uh, going into next year: is what's Gurley going to be like in 2019, Peter? I have no clue. I mean, I assume he'll be fine, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the issues you have when you play a game like this and you play a bunch of really good defenses, because really, if you, if, if you look at it, Dallas is a good defense, New Orleans is a good defense, and New England played the best defensive game of the Belichick playoff era. Um however many games he's had, like 31 playoff games, uh, he, he played fantastic. And so, you know, I sort of look at that, and I basically say that I think the one issue with him right now is is going to have to be, will Sean McVay want him to exist in a 1A or 1 and 1A situation with another back? They're paying him so much money that you would think that wouldn't be the case. But we'll see what happens as the offseason goes on. Peter King, football morning in America. Uh, it was long rumor, and then it happened right after the game. Two of these assistants went to other jobs. One uh, one Rams assistant, offensive assistant, goes to Cincinnati, and a Patriots defensive uh, 
assistant coach goes to uh, Miami. Do you like those two hires or not? I think they're good hires, um, but again, I you know I think a lot of it depends on uh, like let's go let's talk about Miami. Uh, I think Brian Flores in Miami. You know, I think he's a good, tough, hard-nosed, you know, he reminds me of a Todd Bowles type. Um, And, you know, when they succeed, when they got a quarterback. (laughs) And, and again, I I, I don't, I'm not casting aspersions on his ability to coach this team at all, but I'm just saying that there's so much that goes into it. And in my opinion, it's my opinion. You know, if the Miami Dolphins don't do better than Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, they're going to be looking for another coach in three years. That's you know they. The reason why uh, I had this, uh, I just was fooling around with this this note that I'm going to have on Monday. You know, in the time that Bill Belichick has coached the Patriots, the other three teams in the AFC East have had 26 coaches, and you know, so that's 19 years. 26 coaches in total. And and honestly, do you remember in the in the course of the last two decades in the AFC East other than Tom Brady? I mean, who is a quarterback who you feared or you said, "Man, that guy's a great player." I don't think any. You know, I don't think any. I you haven't. You haven't. There hasn't been a single guy. You know, the Jets' best guy has been Sanchez until maybe Sam Darnold. I I I think he's going to be good, but we'll see. The Bills uh, basically have had nobody. Uh, you know, they've had a succession of Ryan Fitzpatrick's and Tyrod Taylor's. Uh, you know, and obviously Miami, uh, they thought they were going to have their guy in Ryan Tannehill, but he's not good enough, uh, I don't think. So, uh, you know, who are you going to get to be your quarterback? And when you tell me that, and we find out who that is, then we'll I'll be able to tell you whether okay, good, <laughs> good idea. It's it's all going to work out. Yeah. And I hate to be so because these guys could be very good coaches, but there've been a lot of good coaches in the recent history of the NFL who whose teams have stunk and, and they've lasted two or three or four years because they can't get anybody good to play quarterback for them. All right. Well, so is Nick Foles a good quarterback? I think Nick Foles is a good quarterback, but. And and I'll probably regret saying this, <laughs> but I think Nick Foles' best role is the role that he's just been used in in Philadelphia. Because I want you to I want you to think about this for a second, Mitch. Nick Foles has had one great year uh, as a full season NFL quarterback, basically his first full yeah. a full time starting season. You know, the twenty seven touchdowns, two interceptions. Yeah. And then ever since then, he's always been. Uh, you know, he's he's had some great runs. Obviously, the last two years, he's had two very good runs. And would I want him on my team? Absolutely. When I signed him, would I be convinced that he's a long-term, really good quarterback? No, I wouldn't be. The offseason for Antonio Brown, we've got another domestic issue, or we've got a domestic issue as it, re- as it pertains to Brown. Everybody's waiting to see is his time in Pittsburgh over is he going to the Raiders where is he headed do you find that story interesting and uh, do you have any idea how it ends up yeah I don't have any idea I think the Steelers are going to make one more run at trying to keep him and I still think it's very much up in the air 
I can't tell you what's going to happen to him. I think he's uh I think it's a fascinating story. Fascinating. My gut feeling, absolute gut feeling, is that they would keep him. Now with this domestic thing, it's very hard for me to imagine that a team, I think, that could handle him, and it would be a great spot for him, San Francisco. I mean, they've they've had nothing but headaches on the domestic violence front, uh, you know, among their players. They've right. been they've just been plagued by him. So I think really, um, just my gut feeling, is, that's all it is, that it, is that he'll stay in Pittsburgh. How about Kareem Hunt? I think he'll sign with the Bears. You do? Uh, yeah, he'll get some suspension to start the year, and uh, then I think he'll try again. That's just that's an absolute gut feeling. I know that Matt Nagy loves him. Uh, and he uh, had a great rookie year with Matt Nagy calling the plays and uh, at least part of the time and being coached by him. And he's better than Jordan Howard. He would make the Bears a better team. And finally, Peter King of Football Morning in America, and we thank you for all of your uh, your participation over the course of the year on Mitch Unfiltered. My question would be to take us into that Hall of Fame room a little bit. There's a lot of people out here you know, we're split, I think, about Steve Hutchinson and his relationship with the Seattle Seahawks after what happened many moons ago. I think uh, purely from a Hall of Fame perspective, I'm surprised he's not already in, although I know that there's dynamics maybe that I don't understand. It seems to me that he's the best. The only dynamic yeah. that you need, I think the only dynamics you need to understand is that when we all sat down on Saturday morning in Atlanta in the Georgia World Congress Center in a gigantic ballroom, <laughs> and we all started to discuss this, every one of us looked down at our sheets and said, there's 15 modern era candidates. We all looked down at our sheets and basically said, how in the world are we going to pick five guys out of this? In my opinion, there's 13 uh, very solid, very good definite Hall of Famers on that sheet, and including all four offensive linemen, Baselli, Hutchinson, Fanica, Mawai, every one of them, in my opinion, should be in Canton. So, I mean, it's all about, it doesn't have anything to do with, oh my God, how, how in the world is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? It's, 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 that, it's that we all look at these guys and we all say this guy belongs, that guy belongs, because they do. And it's just a matter of, I mean, next year is going to be a very interesting year. There's only one player coming in next year, Troy Palomalu, who I think is one of those kind of difference makers who jumps the line. But next year it will be interesting to see how the established guys who've been in that room for a long time, Steve Atwater, who deserves it, who's been in that room, who's been eligible for 15 years, and I think he came very close this time. He's not in. Hutchinson, extremely deserving, deserves to be in. Alan Fanica, uh, you know, all these guys. You know, Edger and James and, and Isaac Bruce both have ridiculous, ridiculous numbers and cases for the Hall. So I guess I sort of look at it and say, it has nothing to do with the fact that me or 47 other guys in that room don't think that Steve Hutchinson belongs. It's just how are we going to 
get all of these guys in and in what order are they yeah. going to go in. That's kind of how I look at the it. The feel from the outside, I'll just tell you from one man's opinion, yep. the feel from the outside is is what you guys do is you guys ask the question in terms of offensive linemen or what have you. Instead of asking the question who deserves it more, it seems like the bigger question is is who's been on the list longer. That's No, that, it, if that was the case, then Steve Atwater would be in. Right. That isn't the case. I'm talking you about know, the offense, like Kevin Mo- Kevin Mawai versus Steve Hutchinson. Let's just take that as an example. Mawai's, I think it's yeah. Go ahead. I think it doesn't matter. Okay. They're both to me. I could flip a coin with them, and I didn't have either one of them in my final five. Uh, when I when we had to, the way it works is you have to cut the list from ten to five. Right. I I felt because we were all set. Boy, we got to get one of these guys in. You know why I didn't pick one when I went from ten to five? Very simple reason. I thought Atwater was the was the absolute best. Uh, it was an absolutely uh, deserving candidate and has been for years. And there wasn't a single one of those four offensive linemen who I said I gotta pick this guy this year. You know, and and if I if I don't do that, then most often, if it's if it's extraordinarily close, an absolute coin flip, and I think Steve Steve Atwater. And all four of these linemen, if you gave me any one of them, I'd say I'm happy with that. But I picked Atwater over those guys, not necessarily because it's been waiting so long, but because I didn't think any one of those offensive linemen was going to get in because there was such a uh, – it's, it's so close. And I didn't think in our discussion on Saturday that any of them really got differentiated. I was – quite honestly, I was a little bit surprised that – that, that one of them got through. I'm happy that they are because I would hope that one or two more get through next year. Will Mike Holmgren ever get a sniff? I don't know. For all of the coaches that we have discussed, I would love to see him, love to see his case get discussed in the room. I really, really would. I think looking at it that, you know, there's going to have to be, there'd have to be something more than just, uh, just what the stats say. And like if if I were if I were talking about Mike Holmgren in that room, the one thing I would emphasize more than anything else is what he did for Brett Favre and how he made Brett Favre more than any other single person. How he made Brett Favre uh, an all-time quarterback because that was him. That was his work. And so you know he's got he's got he's got some wins. He's got the one Super Bowl. He's got the other Super Bowl appearance. But I think that there has to be this acknowledgement that without uh, Mike Holmgren, Brett Favre wouldn't have been nearly as good because I truly believe that. No-brainer if he had won the, the second Super Bowl with the Seahawks? Probably quite likely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but and again, uh, I, I, I think everybody's got to have their case judged, you know, differently or case judged independently. But that that would have helped them quite a bit. Peter King, Football Morning in America, does it better than just about anybody. Uh, a long season is over. Your off season, if there is such a thing in the NFL, has begun, and I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, we appreciate everything that you've done for Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks so much, Peter. Hey, thanks, Mitch. Great being on with you. Love, love, love Peter King's participation on Mitch Unfiltered. I had an awesome time watching the Super Bowl at the brand-new Capitol Hill location of Zeke's Pizza, even though the game sucked. I sat there wondering why I don't take my family and watch more sporting events at Zeke's Pizza. They have 16 locations, soon to be 17. 
I've got a few near where I live. Good TV viewing, great pizza, nice selection of craft beer. What the hell is wrong with me? So, a new resolution for 2019. More sports viewing for me at Zeke's Pizza, period. I'm already texting back and forth with Dan Black, the president, planning to watch the NCAA tournament and Huskies games in particular at Zeke's. I think I'm going to go down to the new Tacoma location next. I hear it's a great spot, and it's the first Zeke's in Tacoma. Those Thursday and Friday first-round games, kind of a kind of a March Madness headquarters. And by the way, I could not believe the delivery business that Capital had going on Super Bowl Sunday. It was impressive. Zeke's deliverers, not third party, going in and out the whole night, and they were delivering beer and cider too. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well, Wednesday was a big day in the world of college football, college recruiting. I'm not a big fan of National Signing Day, but I'm sure my next guest is. He's the National Recruiting Analyst, Yahoo, Rivals.com. He's located, what, in Southern California, Adam? Yep, I live just east of Los Angeles, so I'm down here in Southern California. Adam Gorney is our guest, National Signing Day. Who's the champ? I, I'm reading on your sites that Georgia is the big winner today. Is that right? Yep, for the second year in a row, too. And, and I think that's a big statement for Kirby Smart and what he's been able to do there, uh, beating Alabama in two straight years. And they had a big day. Uh, they flipped a five-star wide receiver who had been committed to Auburn for more than a year and a half. Um, and, and they really made a statement by uh, closing out this class really, really well. Um, and, and beating Alabama twice is definitely kind of a feather in Kirby Smart's cap because uh, that's kind of the, the level of where things are expected to be now. Alabama's winning everything, and then, and then Georgia and Clemson and others are, are coming in third and fourth place. But uh, now Georgia has won two in a row, which is uh, a really impressive feat for them. Adam, let's start right there because Chris Peterson has been very vocal about the process, the process of trying to get a guy to flip from a verbal commitment he says he doesn't do it. He doesn't like those who do it. Give me a sense of where others are nationally. I guess all is fair with love and war or recruiting in, in the Southeast, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and those are the teams that are winning the national championships. Um, and I understand what Chris Peterson is saying, but uh, it's just not the reality of the world that he's living in. Um, and I think he was super sensitive about it because Notre Dame came after Asa Turner. They were trying to flip him, and some other schools were coming after his top guys. And when you're playing at this elite level, that's going to happen. I mean, uh, some coaches will say that recruiting doesn't even really start until a kid commits. Uh, and then it's all about going after him. And one of the most important things that these guys do that Kirby Smart and his staff does and Nick Saban, and especially Ed Orgeron, those guys and Dabo doesn't play this game, but uh, what they do is they make sure that once you're committed, you're really recruited harder than, um, because everyone else is going to come after you. So, yeah, I understand what Chris Peterson is saying, but in a way, uh, you know, this is pretty big boy football now, and there's really no way around it. Um, if a kid is confident in, in his decision, then he's not going to flip. If he's not confident in his decision, then he has other options. And so, uh, you know, Washington didn't have that uh, much of an issue this year because Asa Turner decided to stick with Washington instead of going to Notre Dame, but I can understand why he's sensitive about it. Adam, let me ask you to stick your neck out. Do you believe 
in this day and age that Coach Peterson and his staff don't call upon kids who've already verbally committed elsewhere? Are there other coaches around the country that just refuse to do it? Or is that easy to say in a press conference, but perhaps behind closed doors, they're calling these kids anyway? Yeah, you know what the funny thing is, is that I, I really don't think he's doing it all that often, if, if much at all. If you look at his recruiting classes, what he likes to do is he targets kids early. He gets them up on unofficial visits in the spring. He's looking for commitments from those kids uh, pretty early in the recruiting process. And so if you look at the class right now, a vast majority of the kids uh, had been committed um, well before their senior season. So you're talking about Dylan Morris in the summer before his junior season, Kalepo in the summer before his junior season. And so I think what he's trying to do is is steer clear of all of these late problems and all the late drama that comes with it. But there's certainly some of that going on uh, because Washington is trying to compete for Pac-12 championships and to get into the college football playoff again. And to do that, you have to recruit a certain way. Uh, I don't think it's as prevalent at Washington or even nearly as prevalent in the Pac-12 as it is, especially in the SEC, but also in the ACC. And I remember when Urban Meyer went from Florida to Ohio State Brett Bielam at Wisconsin was giving him, you know, a lot of business that there was always a gentleman's agreement in the conference that you wouldn't go after other kids commits and, and do those kinds of things. Well, you know, Urban Meyer went there and won 90% of his games by doing that and going after everybody. And so, you know, coaches can sit on the high horse and say what they like, but you know, other coaches are going to go after pretty much anybody they can get until signing day. The problem as I see it, and Adam Gorney is the is the voice that you hear, national recruiting analyst for Yahoo and Rivals.com on National Signing Day. The problem as I see it is that while all these conferences and all these coaches are making handshake agreements not to do it a certain way, the SEC is cleaning up. Every time I turn around, every single year I turn around, it's Georgia, Alabama, LSU. It seems like five of the top seven or seven of the top ten are always SEC schools. So uh, I don't know what the expression is, biting their nose despite their face. Is that what the rest of the country's doing while the SEC continues to rake in the top talent? Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, Big 12 schools are trying to do this. There is no way that Texas isn't trying to go after USC commits, and uh, they got one in Brew McCoy, and, and there's no way that Oklahoma isn't going after Texas kids, and Clemson isn't going after other kids, and other other schools are going after Clemson's kids. It's it's just the reality of the world we're living in. So you have coaches um, who say that and say that they don't do it, but it's, it's going on and the SEC is dominating it. Kirby Smart said on ESPN today that um, after he was asked about George Pickens flipping from Auburn to Georgia on signing day. That's the wide receiver, right? That's the wide receiver that flipped today that you, you talked about? Yep, that's the five-star wide receiver. So he said, you know, he's not going to recruit any other school's kids any harder than any of those schools are recruiting his commits. So uh, it's just it's just really the way of the college football world. I don't think the early signing period has solved it. If anything, it's made it more complicated and difficult through those kids' senior seasons. Um, but that's what that's the world we're living in, and, and that's just how it's going to be, I think. So I would imagine, Adam, that Kirby Smart, who won the day for the second consecutive year, the uh, the coach of Georgia and his former boss Nick Saban go head to head for a lot of these guys. How how many uh, roughly? I mean, not an exact number. How many of these guys are those two schools duking it out for? Those two guys duking it out for? And I'm assuming you're saying that Smart this year won the majority of those battles. 
Yeah, I mean, it was really close. It was the cl- one of the closest point totals, I think, in Rivals history dating back to 2002. Um, but, but a lot of guys. And what Kirby did, which was impressive, um, is that he went into the state of Alabama and for the first time, again, in Rivals history, so almost 17, 18 recruiting classes, got the top two kids out of the state of Alabama, George Pickens, number one, who had been committed to Auburn for so long, but also Clay Webb, who's a five-star center, um, who a lot of people thought was just going to stay home and go to Alabama. And the way that they uh, develop offensive linemen, I think a lot of people thought he was going to stay there and go to Alabama. He also went to Georgia right before the early signing period. So um, you look up and down the, the, the signing lists of these schools, it's just an impressive haul for Georgia. Um, but Alabama is really no slouch either. They're doing a phenomenal job recruiting as well. Um, so Georgia got him twice, but I, I don't think Alabama is going anywhere on the national scale. Okay, so segue, if you would, Adam, to the Pac-12. For the last many months, I've been conditioned that Oregon has the best class by a landslide of anybody in this conference, and they've got one of, I guess some people say, one of the top ten classes in America. Is that still the case after National Signing Day came and went? Where does Washington fit in? Where does USC fit in? Give us a sense. Give us a snapshot, if you would, of the Pac-12's day on Wednesday. Yeah, it was relatively quiet across the conference. Oregon had done all of their work pretty much before. Um, They got a three-star defensive tackle from Memphis on signing day, but that was it. Um, A lot of their work was done in December and even before that, getting Kayvon Thibodeau the five-star kid from Southern California, defensive end, incredibly long and athletic kid um, who could be pretty special in that defense. Uh, they did a phenomenal job in Southern California, whether it's Micah Pittman, the four-star receiver from Calabasas, uh, Suava Poti, a four-star defensive tackle from St. John Bosco, the be- one of the best high schools um, in the country, Mikhail Wright, Sean Dollars, uh, Javon Wilson, Mace Funa. You go down up and down the list of guys um, that where they went to Southern California to get, uh, and they got them all committed early, and there was not a lot of drama with any of them. Washington, in a similar fashion, I think they did a nice job wrapping up Daniel Haymuli, who's a four-star linebacker. There wasn't a ton of drama there. Alabama was trying to get in late, but I think he was leaning to Washington the whole time. Keeping Asa Turner in this class and not letting him flip to Notre Dame was also big. But much like Oregon and much like Chris Peterson likes to do, uh, he did a lot of his work early and loaded up with a lot of talented players from from California, from Hawaii. Um, And so his class is is very, very strong, too. They finished third, uh, Oregon number one, USC two, Washington three. And where does Washington fit nationally? Are they in the top 20 in recruiting classes? And where does this Chris Chris Peterson class rank, let's say, with previous years? Is it one of his better, or is it just a typical Chris Peterson year? A typical Chris Peterson year which means it's an impressive year of guys that he really wanted that he got out that he, that he got and that he'll come and develop. And that's something uh, they finished 19th nationally. Uh, USC was 18. Arkansas surprisingly was 20. They had a really good recruiting year, but what Chris Peterson likes to do and, and he, and the more kids I talk to at events are, are noticing it more and more um, is he brings in kids that are slightly maybe underranked or, haven't proven it on the high school level as much as some other kids um, and develops them to be phenomenal players and puts them in the NFL. So whether that's Vita Vea, who had all the physical tools to be something super special, but then they made him um, the defensive tackle that he was 
the defensive lineman that he was, or even a Greg Gaines, who in high school, honestly, was not an incredibly dominant player. They saw something in him and, and developed him. Uh, Miles Gaskin, who again was a, a very good high school player, but you wondered about his size at that level. Uh, they developed him, Kevin King, uh, Byron Murphy, we had ranked high, but not a five-star, and he looks to be one of the first cornerbacks taken off. So when I talk to kids about Washington, that's what they're talking about, that it's no nonsense up there. They care about them on and off the field, and then they develop them for the NFL. And so a lot of kids are attracted to that. And, and Chris Peterson gets into Southern California, recruits the heck out of the area, and gets a lot of talented kids. Which guys in this class of Washington have a chance to be immediate contributors yeah that that's that's interesting um because there there i think there there could be many um really yeah the kid sama paama from hawaii is already 6'4 335 i think he can be a guy that sees the field early cameron davis is an electric running back from upland in southern california a lot of teams wanted him he didn't show much interest other than in washington they did an incredible job across the defensive line whether it's fatui tuatelli another hawaiian kid who's already over 300 pounds leatu latu who is a northern california kid who's incredibly long and athletic so i think those kids on the defensive end asa turner is a kid who i think can get on the field early and daniel hamuli at linebacker is another kid uh josh calvert is kind of a do everything type at linebacker they really loaded up uh in their front seven and they address a lot of issues those kids though are not guys who in the pac-12 i think won't need a, a red shirt year those are guys who are already physically developed and ready to go um, and I think some of those guys will definitely see the field pretty early. What position will Aza Turner play? It's interesting because a lot of people early on wanted him at wide receiver. Uh, he's that athletic and that much of a playmaker. I think he's probably going to end up at linebacker in the Pac-12. He could easily stay at safety. Um, he's a kid who makes plays at the All-American Bowl. He had a lot of passes tipped, did a lot of stuff on defense because he's a very smart football player, but also someone who has tremendous athleticism and length. So that's what Chris Peterson likes about him. He can move all over the field and his versatility. You know, if you put him at linebacker and it doesn't work out or he's struggling, you move him to safety and he'll shine there or vice versa. So he's a kid who could play safety, could play, could play linebacker and, and excel at either one. Final question for you, Adam. Who's the best quarterback in the country, high school quarterback in the country, and where is he going? Yeah, I would say it's Spencer Rattler. Um, he's from Phoenix, Pinnacle. Uh, he put up huge numbers in high school, and he's going to Oklahoma. Uh, they made him priority number one. There is no doubt about it. He is very much in the Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield mold. Um, somewhere in the middle, though. Um, he's not as head, you know, headstrong as Baker Mayfield. He's probably not the incredible athlete that Kyler Murray is. Uh, but he could throw the ball all over the field. Um, he loves what Lincoln Riley is doing on offense. And I think he's a kid who three or four years down the road will be not only starting there, but will be in the first round discussion. Uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, there were so many questions um, about his size. Same thing with Kyler Murray. Baker Mayfield went number one overall. It looks like Kyler Murray is going to choose football um, and probably be a first round draft pick. So size in the NFL uh, is, is becoming less of an issue at quarterback, especially three or four years down the road when Spencer Rattler proves what he can do at Oklahoma. So I think he's the number one quarterback in the country, and I think he's a potential first-round draft pick in three or four years from now. Adam Gorney, National Recruiting Analyst, Yahoo and Rivals.com. Go to Rivals.com, follow him 
on the on the Twitter. Great stuff, Adam. Thank you very much. From a guy who doesn't follow it quite closely, uh, like you do, it's nice to get a sense and a taste of what Wednesday was all about on National Signing Day. Thanks so very much. Of course. Thank you. There's Adam Gordy, one of the top college football recruiting experts on the West Coast, saying Washington third in the Pac-12, close with USC, way behind Oregon, and one of the 16 or 17 best classes in America. TikTok, TikTok, that's the clock ticking on Valentine's Day, and you're sitting there without dinner reservations for next Thursday or Friday or Saturday. Come on, get with it. Daniel's Broiler now has four incredible locations. Ask anyone who has celebrated a special occasion at Daniel's. It's a great place to do so. I've done it many times myself. Actually heard from Lindsay Schwartz today on Twitter. Most primetime slots are full at the four locations. The good news is there's still some great time slots open on Friday and Saturday nights, but not for long. Bacon wrapped scallops to start is my fave. I like the salads and, of course, the very best steaks and seafood in the Northwest. Four fantastic locations. Leshy is small, quaint, and romantic. South Lake Union overlooking the world in Bellevue at Bellevue Place and the brand-new Daniels downtown at the startling Hyatt Regency at 8th and Howell just down the block from the Paramount Theater. How about dinner and an overnight stay in the beautiful city? Daniels Broiler for Valentine's Day. World-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Episode number 21. We gave Jason Hamilton the the awesome responsibility of naming it, and he took Roberto Clemente. You took him over Tim Duncan. You took him over Neon Deion Sanders. You took him over LaDainian Tomlinson. You took him over Ruben Patterson. I mean, Roger Clemens... <laughs> Sammy Sosa, for you it was Roberto Clemente, but it was close between Roberto Clemente and Deion Sanders. No, it wasn't. You don't even listen to me. <laughs> I thought you said hands down, but it was no. a close second. I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. A close second. The close second was between Tim Duncan and Deion oh, Sanders. Okay, okay, okay. But Roberto, but Roberto Clemente runs away with it. So it's, it's, yes. it's episode Roberto Clemente. All right. I'm going to name some names. You tell me what they all have in common. Are you ready? I am. Zach Randolph, Justin Jackson, Harrison Barnes, Iman Shumpert, Nick Skouskis, Wade Baldwin, Brandon Knight, Marquise, Chris, Alec Burks, Otto Porter, Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis, Tyler Johnson, Wayne Ellington, Ryan Anderson, Stanley Johnson, Thon Maker, Tobias Harris, Boban Marianovich, Mike Scott. I feel like going into Marv right now. Landry Shamet, Wilson Chandler, Mike Mascala, Reggie Bullock. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm not going to try this one. Zviatoslav Mikhailiuk, <laughs> Rodney Hood. Do you know what all these people have in common? They all got traded. They all got traded. I, every time I look up, somebody else is getting traded in the NBA, and I haven't even tipped the iceberg just yet by the way what happened to Marquise Chris didn't we all think he was going to be an NBA star did he come out too early should he stayed another year at Washington what happened to Marquise Chris everything depends on where you go it's the fit I mean we 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 do this in our own lives you know the company that you start with and you get a good mentor all, all that stuff is relevant in sports as well Marquise Chris as a young guy went to a franchise that had no clue about who they were and what they were trying to be in the Phoenix Suns. He played a lot of minutes with a very, very bad team with no leadership. 
And I'm not trying to say that that's the reason that Marquise Chris isn't a bona fide pro right now. I'm just saying like that, that is what happens. That's the difference between he and DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray goes to the San Antonio Spurs in a great system with the best coach in the NBA. And he was flourishing before his knee injury. That's just the biggest difference. So now he's involved in the trade to Houston. Now he's involved in another trade that moves him to Cleveland. And, um, you know, until he gets, you know, a solid situation and can, you know, mature and dig his way out of it, he, he's going to be a, a journeyman. Does any of this NBA trading stuff, do you follow any of this? Because I don't really follow it. My son comes running in every time there's a trade. Needless to say, I've seen a lot of my son lately. He keeps running in. Hey, guess who was traded? Harrison. This guy was traded. That, do, you, do you follow it close enough to care about the NBA trades or no? Yeah, yeah, I, I do follow it a little bit, but you and I are kind of in the same boat. My son is all about it. He's texting me. He's he's coming up. He's coming into my room. Hey, did you see what? Do you see what Anthony Davis? Do you see what the Lakers are going to offer? Do you see what? You know, uh, he's, he's all about it. Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. and do you humor him or do you just say I don't really, I don't really. Oh no, I, I I'm interested. Oh, you are. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, not me. Not so much me. <laughs> Got to admit. Not so much you. Not so much me. What'd you think about Sergio Garcia's bunker tirade? The the clip of him in the after we hear that he got DQ'd for damaging five greens, but we also know that there's no video. Can you believe in 2019 nobody caught Stunning. him damaging five greens in the European Tour? I mean those 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 matches, those tournaments are actually on the golf channel very often yeah. late in the night. The fact that nobody with a cell phone, nobody with a camera, he damaged five greens. He admitted that he did it. He accepted his disqualification. And we don't see, have you seen, I haven't seen one like bootleg clip of, no. of Sergio <laughs> damaging a green. The only thing I've seen is that I was a temper tantrum in the, in the bunker. Yeah. The European tour has got seven cameras and they just, they just <laughs> move them around the, the continent. That's all. That's all they got. How in the world is it 2019 and you, you're a you're you're covering a very popular sport, especially in Europe, and you cannot find any footage of that at all. But I will tell you, I did try to emulate Sergio not on the greens, but in the bunker today. I did give a a little extra whack to just you know. Bang bang! I needed to get it out of my. He system. gave he gave it a, a few extra whacks. That wasn't just oh, he one went, extra. He went nuts. Nuts. You know, for he years went. and years and years, and and in our next episode, we'll have Ben Wright, my friend Ben Wright, eighty six years old, uh, is going to be on episode number twenty two on Monday, and we'll have him talk about this. But you know, for years and years and years, I criticized Sergio. Like, come on, grow up, man! Spitting in cups, being being real childish in interviews. I remember when he when he was just an idiot with Dick Enberg at the Masters one year. I mean, just every time you turned around, Sergio was just being an idiot. And then it seemed like he started to mature and grow older like the rest of us, and he mellowed out a little bit, and then he started winning, and then he wins the Masters, right? And yeah. he's kind of transforming his reputation into kind of an elder statesman and you know, a leader on the Ryder Cup team, the European leader on the Ryder Cup team, and all this stuff. And just when you think it's safe to go back in the Sergio Garcia waters, hmm. there's this. I mean, this is unbelievable. Damaging five greens on a European tour. I mean, yeah. literally taking your putter and damaging the greens and getting DQ'd, and then this this embarrassing footage of him going bonkers in a 
in a bunker? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I guess a, a leopard can't change his spots. Well, it's weird, too, because, you know, I think, like you said, you know, young guy pushed onto the scene early with a lot of success, and then he got married, he's had a baby. You know, typically that's kind of one of those life-altering moments, those two things with a, with marriage and a kid. Where it's like, okay, my perspective is a little bit different. I, I'm secure in my finances, especially a guy like Sergio. You know, I've been on this tour for a long time. I've made a ton of money. Uh, I got my ma- I, I got my major. I don't have right. to. I don't have to listen to best player in the world never to have won a major. Didn't right. live up. Didn't live up to the billing in the expect. All that was shit. All he had to do. He won the green jacket, man. He he never will have to answer to any of those critics ever again. He won his major and still yet this right. Really, really bad. Anything else from Tucson on episode number twenty one that you wanna you wanna say? And I got nothing. Tucson is Tucson. I mean, it's it's it is what it is. It's a it's a it's a lovely sleepy destination there's guess, nothing, nothing guess how many nothing times else. i've been to tucson i'm gonna go with zero that's correct yeah yes. unless you had to come here for an arizona thing it's not a destination for golf it's not a destination for i mean i think the the gem and mineral show is going on right now <laughs> so i i i was remiss in you said, is anything going? Yes, there's something going on. I think the Gem and Mineral Show uh, is happening at the convention center right now. Our thanks to our sponsors of episode number 21, Evergreen Golf Call, Daniel's Broiler, Jaguar, Land Rover of Bellevue, and Zeke's Pizza. And don't forget, we introduced it earlier on episode 21, something I'm very, very excited about, but I want everybody to attend, those that can do it, those that can afford to do it, to be with us on March the 19th at Daniel's Broiler in Bellevue. We are having a very special dinner event to fill out brackets. We're calling it the Unfiltered March Madness. Jay Ham and I are both going to be there. We're going to help you fill out your brackets. We're going to have a pool. We're going to tell stories. We're going to shake hands. We're going to kiss babies. And we are going to serve you the best meal in the Pacific Northwest, a Daniel's Broiler USDA Prime Filet Mignon all a part of the package. All you got to do is go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click on the top of the page. It says Unfiltered March Madness and uh, make a reservation because we're only taking the first 64. All we have are 64 spots. That's it. Episode 21 is in the books.